You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. The 602 Club proudly presents Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, and I am just one of the hosts here. Matthew Rushing, and with me as he is every single week on this journey, is the one and the only John Mills. Hey, everybody. It's been a while. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It, it, it It's crazy that, you know, we're, what, like two months past Zack Snyder's Justice League having coming out? Like, it's Is crazy. it really that long already? Because uh, it was uh, March, I, right? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. It's insane. I hope he has something in production right now so that oh, man. we don't have to go that long again. Uh, seriously, so. seriously. Well, I mean, the rumors that he had taken his Star Wars idea and um, de-Star Wars-ified it uh, to to create an idea just as a possible movie is interesting. And, uh, well, we also know that he has sequel ideas for this movie that we're about to talk about tonight. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hopefully he's got stuff in the pot. Um, but uh, before we dive into talking about Army of the Dead, which we're so excited to get to, I mean, honestly, John, as you're mentioning, this kind of is the end of this journey until the next thing comes out. Um, you know, I don't yeah. know if necessarily we'll talk about, um, you know, the animated series that goes along with this because. You know, I don't think it's Zack directing that. And so, um, but the next Zack Snyder movie that comes out, he directs, will definitely fire up the old Snyder cuts again. And so, uh, this will be the last episode for a while. So, if you like what the show's doing, you know, make sure you keep track of us. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we're in the 602 Club feed here on TFM. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you get the shows as soon as it drops. Uh, you can also, of course, um, give us a star rating review over on Apple Podcasts to help the show grow. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, we're on Twitter, so you can keep track of everything that's coming out here in the 602 Club over at the 602 Club on Twitter. That's just that simple, at the 602 Club. Uh, you can also find us, of course... On Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We're on Facebook with the entire network at Trek FM, which is facebook.com slash Trek FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group you can find there uh, called the Babel Conference you can join. We've also got the website, Trek.fm, and you can go to the contact section there. And if you would like to send John and I an email about Snyder Cuts, you can just choose the 602 Club and that would come to us. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, and last but not least, you know, uh, if you would like to support the network because you like what we do, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team and just make sure all of these quality podcasts keep coming to you. So, um, this one, John, is obviously interesting because neither of us had seen this one before. Uh, it's brand yep. new, just dropped mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, so I was just kind of wondering for you what your first experience was with the movie. I Because I don't think you got a chance to go see it when it was in the theaters for about a week. No, I didn't. I wanted to. Um, and actually, so I, I would say that your first experience with it is probably the more interesting one because my first experience was sitting on the couch eating some Paul Newman's <laughs> pizza with a soda. So, and I did pop some popcorn too. But, uh, you know, seriously, that's my first experience with it. What, what was, what was it like seeing this in the theater? Like, was it a larger than life experience that they put you in one of the, the mm-hmm. bigger theaters or one of the crummier? Uh, I would say that this is a a very nice size theater, not one of the largest ones that they have, but a a good one. It wasn't like one of the rinky dink ones. Um, And I was actually surprised to see how many people were there. In fact, I was standing Mm. in the concession line and a gentleman was standing behind uh, me and he was talking to to one of the um, people working behind the concession line. And, you know, they were asking him what he was going to see. And he said, you know, Army of the Dead. And he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I was checking to see what was playing tonight. And I saw Army of the Dead. And I was like, oh, I'll watch that. You know, so it was kind of neat to hear that, you know, this is something I obviously Netflix did no promotion for, for really being out in theaters. The only promotion we saw was uh, from Zack Snyder himself uh, yeah. on you know, Twitter. And of course, the army of fans that he has, you know, I mean, maybe he should make a movie called army of the fans um and yeah. <laughs> so i i mean 
And then when I got into the theater, I was actually surprised. You know, um, the theater I went to was in the Portland area, which is still kind of much more uh, COVID restricted right now. And there were still quite a bit of people that were in the theater. So it was a good showing, I felt like. And it was a fun experience. You know, it, it was really fun to see the movie with people the first time because people were reacting to different things. You know, you get that thing where people are like, oh my God, you know, like, or, you know, mm-hmm. screaming profanity because something like scares them or whatever. And then, you know, when this type of movie, that's fun. Um, that's kind of what you want. I remember going to see uh, The Quiet Place for the first time and some girl behind me literally, like, she jumped out of our chair. I could feel it because something scared her so badly and, like, you know, screamed the F word. And it was just, that's funny, you know, in a movie like that, yeah. right? That's kind of what you're hoping you get. So that was, I mean, the experience was really good and it looked beautiful on the big screen. Based on that experience, do you think that uh, Netflix should have, had a longer play window with this they should have had it going longer before it dropped on netflix or do you think that they should have just leaned into it more because to your point they Mm -hmm. didn't really advertise it i had so much trouble finding a theater playing it down here that you actually did the internet search while i was at work and you were like oh no it's playing over here it was like one theater Mm -hmm. where it was playing around here that was a good you know like 35 minutes away from me and um yeah yeah, trust me, when you have kids, that's a, it lo- is true. That's a no, it, long I mean, round trip. Heck, even for me, that's that's the same way. Yeah. You know, I so um you know, I that is a great question. And and I think it is a detriment to Netflix that they don't try this a little bit more often because I do think, you know, there is something special about watching a film on a big screen. And I would say that Zach definitely made this movie with the big screen in mind and not necessarily Netflix. He makes this, he made this movie just the same way that he makes all of his movies, which is Mm -hmm. to be experienced in a, in a very large format. And so, yeah, I, I'm, you know, some of the other streaming services will, you know, cause I know Amazon has done this too, where they have movies that will come out in the theaters and limited release, and then it'll show up on Amazon. Uh, and I don't know. Um, I do think Netflix is kind of missing out. And I honestly think that they kind of missed out on the fact that they could have made just some good money uh, sure. on this um, just by doing a little bit of promotion, even just on social media alone, uh, and letting people know, hey, we got a fun new movie for you to go see in the theater it's a crazy idea and it's it you'll love it on the big screen, you know, so mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I do kind of think that they kind of missed uh, an opportunity here to to get more people interested. So now you mentioned that the theater, you know, the, the people were getting into it and everything. So at the end of the, the movie, without tipping off your own reaction or anything, what was the audience's vibe? Were people walking out laughing and saying, "Oh, I really like that"? Was this was this one of those things where it had the vibe where again, if it played for a little bit longer, this would become a hit because word of mouth would power it? Was that your impression coming out of the theater, or was it more subdued where it was like some people loved it, some people were sort of just walking out of the theater like whatever? The feeling that I got in the theater throughout the entire experience was this: that people were enjoying the movie that they were responding to it in the correct ways, you know, like the, <gasps> or, you know, like laughing at, at the right places, the jokes or, you know, enjoying it when the bad guy gets eaten by a zombie tiger, you know, or, or you know, right. kind of cheering when that happens. So people seem to, to genuinely have responded to the film in, in the way that you would want. You know, I didn't catch anybody kind of laughing at the places where they're, laughing at the movie instead of with it, you know? Um, sure. And so I, I, from that experience alone, obviously anecdotal, but it did seem like Netflix kind of passed on some bucks where, you know, look, <laughs> the way Netflix's business model works is kind of like the United States government. Uh, it seems like money is no object um, and that yeah. can't last forever. So I, I feel like that they are missing out and, and and something like this with a premier director, um, 
you know, in the same way that, you know, I think that they may have, may have put like Mank in the theater for maybe one week or something, you know, so oh, I, if you know, did, you've I got don't these remember. premier yeah. directors though, it does seem like it's not a bad idea to like put it in some theaters. You let it make some money for a couple of weeks and recoup something. Um, and then, you know, the majority of people will go see it, you know, still probably on Netflix, but well, I mean, I don't know it, why it, you would make, it would it would make sense because the sunk cost is already there and yeah, uh, exactly. basically becomes marketing, you know, yep. at, at that point. And, you know, it's it's also, I think, lower, lower yield movies. I, I'm not saying that right. But like with the sunk cost thing, no matter they're not going to make back their money, most likely. But at the very least, it's a good way to sort of plumb the depths and find out how willing people are to at, you know, at this juncture, how willing people are to go back and see something, right? You can sort of test the waters with something like this and see, you know, are people interested? Are people going for it? Right. That's well, sort of and thing. I mean, you know, you think about, um, like, Godzilla versus Kong yeah. did great. And it was yeah, it on HBO Max, but it was also in a lot of theaters. And it did yeah. really, really well, not just in the United States, but around the world. Obviously, th- those films also have a huge international audience because international audiences, like American audiences, just love two monsters beating the crap out of each other. But, I mean, sure. it does show that with the right movie, you can have it on streaming, but you can also have it make a lot of money in the theater. And so I, I think, you know, a good zombie flick is something that kind of uh, transcends, it seems like. So... I absolutely agree with you. There's no reason I wouldn't say to just try it, you know, and see how it goes. But, you know, I mean, again, Netflix has their own business model, which nobody really seems to understand. So who knows? Least of all them. So it's true. Okay. So knowing also as part of this journey, uh, I had seen Dawn of the Dead before you. And that was you're not really a a blood and guts kind of guy when it comes to movies. That's a fair statement. Um. We, I mean, essentially, yeah, we, we talked about his, uh, you know, his, his, his music videos and, and stuff like that before, but his first real movie is Dawn of the Dead. So it feels in a sense, especially in terms of Snyder cuts at this point, that we've come full circle. We started with a zombie movie. We're ending with a zombie movie. And so my question to you would actually be this, because I'm trying to wrestle with it too. Same type of material, Right. Same type of genre. Where do you see growth from Snyder comparing like to like? Right? Mm. You can't compare Dawn of the Dead to Justice League sure. or Owls of Gahul to Watchmen or anything <laughs> like You know, like they're just different. Right. But you can compare Dawn of the Dead with Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Where do you see growth from Snyder when you compare those two things? So what's interesting is, you know, you saw in Dawn of the Dead that Snyder kind of evolved from the original film and uh, kind of added his own little spin. Mm -hmm. And I think in Army, he's continued that trend in the sense that he added his own little spin in Dawn and now in Army... He's one-upping the game for zombie movies in the sense that he does he's not content to just leave things be in the sense that I'm just going to make a generic zombie movie. No, he really wants to add something to the genre. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's something to which, you know, I do think you can kind of compare to some of his other works in the sense that he is willing to to take a genre and then add his own take on it, um, add his personal stamp to it, you know, and there are things in Army of the Dead that nobody else has done with a zombie movie and places and ideas that nobody else has really necessarily played with. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, um, this whole movie is very experimental for him. And I think it shows that he's willing to continue to experiment as a filmmaker and not allow even himself to get bored. Where do you see technically him 
stretching his wings. Where, where do you where do you see? Because again, mm-hmm. we have Dawn of the Dead, we have Army of the Dead. Where do you see him vi- having visually evolved? Where do you see his use of camera yeah. having changed? Where do you see his color palette? Those sorts of things. Where do you see growth there for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, uh, so much has been made in this movie about the fact that he used uh, these 1960s dream can- Canon dream lenses um, that then they rebuilt and housed, you know, for the Red mm-hmm. camera um, because Red contacted him and, like, they they wanted to see if he wanted to, you know, make his next movie on red and he'd never shot on digital. And, um, so I thought it was really interesting. I think one, obviously Snyder got the camera, started playing with it and loved it. And so him being willing to evolve past film, I think is one place where we really see technically camera wise Snyder really willing to, um, grow, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as much as I love Nolan, he's never going to give up film. Um, but no. Snyder here is willing to surpass film in, in the sense of like to, to try something new. Um, and I also think no other filmmaker would have the, the I, I'm going to say it, the absolute balls of steel to take these lenses to which nobody knows how they're going to work uh, in a camera and to not know whether the movie is going to really truly ever be in focus in the way that we would normally see a film focused. And this movie surprised him in the sense that he's said multiple places where, you know, things were much more in focus than he thought they were going to be. But still, he's really playing with uh, depth of feel uh, with his camera work. And, of course, he's the DP in this movie. So he went back yeah, to his own I, I was, roots. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's the thing I'm really interested for you, too, like, to answer this question, because Zach is, is like, he, he's gone all the way back to his roots of being everything in the production. Right. And, I mean, this might be the most yeah. Zack Snyder movie of all Zack Snyder movies, because it's all him. You know, it, it's interesting, because I think that there are definitely people that are going to be they're going to have uh, points of contention with the visuals in this. Uh, I, it, this is typical for Snyder. You know, it, the, the question is, oh, well, where do you see a director? It's like, you can tell this is a Zack Snyder movie because the camera work is unique. The color palette is yes. what you expect from modern day Snyder. Uh, and so, like, I would look at, you could look at Dawn of the Dead and then this, and Dawn of the Dead, the saturations are turned up a bit. Yep. He, he hasn't moved away from the saturations by mm-hmm. that point. Uh, I think that his tribute to Larry Fong in yes. the movie so is great. fantastic. Uh, for anybody, do we want to spoil it or just encourage people to go back and look for it? You know, I, go back I don't want to spoil it yeah. because it it's is when they really first, fun. Yeah, it's when they first get into Las Vegas. Pay attention to the higher parts of the buildings. Um. And I think that there are visual moments that really shine. Uh, there are other moments where I'm not entirely certain that that it's as successful as he he felt it was. Um, you know, there are a couple of close up shots where they're very interesting at first, and then he uses them a little bit more, and it's like, okay, this isn't. It doesn't sustain the same way. Uh, but they're like, you know, the, the first time you see it, you're like, oh, that's an interesting looking shot. And then it happens a couple more times. You're like, but it's not that interesting, you know? Um, and it, you know, a lot of them have to do with like close ups and stuff. I think that story wise is where I see, I, I don't want to say growth, uh, but evolution, I guess, um, a it changes with him. Dawn of the dead is a very straightforward movie. It was written by James Gunn. But, of course, we all know directors have a hand in how the final script shapes. And with him involved in the writing process in this, you see somebody who is, in fact, trying to put something together that's a little more complex. Something that's got a little more going on. And to your point, there are some really unique things in terms of a zombie movie, right? This idea of different tiers of zombie, that there's an actual society that functions and in a sense, it's almost uh, it's almost lifted from Blade, mm. where you have the fully functioning vampires, and then you have the people that never quite come out of the stupor, and so they're they're sort of just like mindless zombies. Uh, so this has that sort of you know 
hierarchy uh, because you have the alpha who's the original zombie that escaped and then, you know, the, the, the different tiers of zombies. There are a couple of things where I think that his um, his showmanship works against him a little bit. Example would be like the robot zombies, not robot zombies, but they're cyborg in some way. And I know that that is most likely to help set up uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, connected universe here. Uh, but it's it's one of those little tidbits that's frustrating not to explain by the end of this. Or at least drop some sort of hint. Like have Tanaka at the end have a file folder talking about the, you know, and you see it sitting on his desk. And, and it's got like, you know, experiments with zombies or something. And you find out that. It, you know, they've been doing exp- et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to that point, and I wanted to ask you about this is in terms of the story structure. Well, I thought there was a lot interesting going on here. I thought that it suffered from too much being packed in, uh, that there was a little bit too much going on, especially as it wound down toward the end. It was, it lost a little steam for me because there was just so much on top of everything else. And some motivations got a little murky. Uh, did you, did you have that same impression or, you know, like were, were there any mm-hmm. story points where you were like, ah, eh, they could have done without that. It's interesting because I do think that the story point with his daughter's friend doesn't quite get played out well enough because, you know, I, the, the whole thing goes awry because his daughter leaves, right? Like, they literally yeah. lose it all, and everybody ends up dying pretty much because of her and her going yep. after this one person. And it's a little bit frustrating, obviously. And at the same time, that is the trope of the zombie film, right? Somebody doing something kind of dumb and it getting a lot of people killed, you know. In fact, I think of like in Dawn of the Dead, you know, when she runs out, you know, uh, after the dog, I yeah. think it is, right? You know, that's the same type of thing. Um, I, You know, it's a little more successful here in the sense that she's going after an actual human being, you know, instead of a dog. Like, so, but yeah. at the same time, um, the story doesn't, quite work because there isn't that moment when the helicopters crashed where she's actually even looking for her friend right who was so important and i think if you had even just had her like you know because she does look at i've seen this twice now she does actually look in the helicopter she's looking at tig's character right and you could tell maybe like you just needed to show a glimpse of like the mangled body of her friend just to let you know that she didn't make it either, you know? And, or, and I think or at least that, a reaction shot, a exactly. reaction shot of yeah, her 100%. like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I think that alone would have helped that story feel more cohesive, um, and more legitimate, um, in the sense of like, you spent so much time on it and it's again, the thing that makes everything fall apart. And then we don't really do anything with it afterwards, you know, um, I don't know if I, f- but it, I would say this, it's never a complete, it's never like completely makes me dislike the movie or get really frustrated with the movie. There are just some tweaks that I wish, you know, might've happened for, um, some of these things to be maybe, uh, just yeah. a little bit cleaner. Um, and yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no. And I think that's, I think that's very fair because I, I, I have, in terms of story structure, there's a lot here and there's a lot very interesting here, but there, not everything here was necessary. And to your point about the trope, you could make the argument, well, it would have shown a little bit of growth on his part to say, well, this is the part where the idiot runs off and causes everybody to die. I'm not going to do that here, right? To roll it right, back right. because he had control of everything. Yeah. With Dawn of the Dead, you're in that weird territory of somebody else wrote the script, and you, mm-hmm. he had the power here. Um, but I do think that there's so so much interesting that I think in retrospect, when people see this, when they peel it apart, 
intellectually, uh, especially the beginning part, about how he seems to be making a very relevant statement about how easy it is for the government to abuse powers that it's given in an emergency situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, I think, is a particularly resonant theme, no matter what period of history you're alive in. But you could make mm-hmm. you know certain arguments about some of the things he's postulating uh, here that right. are interesting. Very interesting. Agree or disagree. They're very interesting questions to put out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would give them a lot of credit is because of the fact that he's the only director that I've seen right now who is asking some of those questions in his movies. Sure. Yeah. And it, it to that, it endears pieces of the movie to me because mm-hmm. of the fact that he's willing to put it out there. Right. He's willing to, you know, go out on a limb. Well, and, and so one of the things that I'm, I think is the most fast, one of the most fascinating questions for me is this is look, um, we, we know that this zombie, the original alpha Zeus comes from area 51 and it's being right. transported somewhere and we don't know where we just know it's being transported yeah. from area 51 and we get the feeling like, of course, uh, that possibly, you know, when you connect the movie, it's being transported maybe to Tanaka in his group for testing because it seems as though they've been working on this uh, zombie um, mm-hmm. for the purposes of kind of creating some sort of super soldier, possibly like this is super soldier serum gone wrong. You know, this is like right. the zombie Captain America. And, um, you know, I kind of love the he plays with the whole idea of him being a superhero anyway, Zeus with the cape and all and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very evocative of, of uh, like a zombie Superman or bizarro I mean, Superman. Yeah. Um, yeah, he even has a mask. Yeah, so. it's great. Uh, so um, but I think the thing that makes that so interesting is that we learn, you know, later on in the film that really Tanaka is most interested in getting a sample of this. So it makes you wonder what has the government been doing in their experiments with this? And is this a response or uh, a, an accidental creation because they have had alien technology? Uh, right. They even make the joke because uh, the guy who played Jimmy Olsen and in, in, in BVS, you know, is in the truck, you know, and he, talking about aliens, you know. And uh, so is that part of this too? Is that, and, and so like, I, I, I love all of the things that Zach is like postulating in just very few amount of scenes that raise so many great questions to which you can go a million different places with in this. And, and to me that, I mean, I think that's what sets this apart and makes it even better than Dawn because it is a much more intellectually stimulating zombie film than that one because we're asking a lot more questions and then on top of the questions you mentioned it i feel like those are things to which really excited me as i watched this movie and really responded to yeah to be sure though i i I do want to be transparent that there are for all of these things that we're talking about that we do like there are things that i think were problems that could have been solved in the writing stage and what one of the things is is i think that probably my desire to see some things cut out as i do think the movie is a bit over long mm-hmm. i think that it it's much more uh, entertaining if he keeps it tighter if he gets us in and he gets us out uh i think that there is there there are a lot of interesting dynamics with the team mm-hmm but that the team is a little too large for me to be emotionally invested with any of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think that could have been whittled down a little bit to increase the tension between characters by maybe merging and reassigning a couple Mm -hmm. of roles here and there. Sure. Um, And I think that what is fascinating is the moments where it really seems to come alive, which is an ironic thing to say because it's about the undead, <laughs> are really those moments like the opening credits. 
where mm-hmm. that is that is Zack Snyder. That's the snow steam iron, Zack yeah. Snyder. Yeah, you know where I'm looking at it. And I'm saying this is a short film all its own. This is really interesting. What's happening right here? I don't have any dialogue. All I have is sound effects and music, and I know everything that's going on, and it's interesting and it's curious and all of these things. And he. It really is interesting because in that opening credit sequence, he told me everything I needed to know over the duration of the credits. And then he seems to slow down so much with the rest of it that I wish he would borrow some of the energy from that type of sequence and say, hey, I have a faster way to tell this story over here and condense it down to you know, maybe even, you know, like an hour 55 or maybe two hours five or something like that. Do you agree? I, I, Do you disagree? Um, I didn't mind the length too much, except for the fact that I had to pee um, during the movie, <laughs> which was terrible. Um, I do think that there is a way, I think in the recruitment stage of the team, you could have sped yeah. that up and you didn't mm-hmm. need to be quite so long. Um and I, you know, I really, you know, but there is a part of me, it, it almost is like Zach enjoyed, obviously, the experience of, you know, his Justice League where he really got to kind of spend some time with the characters. And I think, you know, his his whole process here was, you know, he wanted you to kind of feel for some of these characters. So I think it works best to me when we're still spending time with Batista and his relationships, you know, with his, mm-hmm. his, his daughter. Um, and you know, this woman that he, you know, thought he lost the ability to kind of be in a relationship with forever. Um, I think those are the things that really work the best there. Uh, and I like the time we spend there and I do feel like pretty much everything else you could have whittled down a little bit, but I, you know, I'm not going to get, again, I'm not going to get too upset about that really because having seen this movie twice, I personally just really enjoyed the ride I was on um, and the world he created um, and all of the questions he was asking. And so it, it continually, it's kept me engaged twice, you know, and I think that's, that's a, that's a good thing. I'm I am going to cede to you though. Absolutely, I do feel like there could be places where you could have tightened some things up, and it and I think it would have helped to have tightened a few of you know um, the editing choices um, so that the story. And okay, let me postulate this. I honestly kind of think that you could have you know they do the whole thing where they tell you what's going to happen before it happens, you know, yeah. like the, I don't know if you needed that. I it's fun, mm-hmm. but and I don't feel like it's necessary. Um and that's a good three and a half minutes alone that like it makes for some fun visuals, but it's not because we're just about to go in and do the thing anyway. Right. I don't necessarily need that sequence to tell me what it's going to be like because, again, this is a zombie movie and we are playing with all these tropes. So I definitely get you right. know, it. So, yeah, I, um, again, I, I just think he could have transferred the energy here and there. Sure. Uh, yeah. is, is speak, is speaking of building the team, though, everybody knows that Tignataro was not originally in the film. I don't even know right. the name of the person that they replaced or whatever. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about that. Do you think that the digital edition mapping of Tignataro was successful overall? Were there any shots mm-hmm. where you looked at it and you said, eh, okay, I can see the edges there? Or do you think it mm-hmm. was, a you know, a, as we've joked about behind the scenes, as I love to call it, the CO Bibble technology? Yeah. <laughs> because in Attack of the Clones, Oliver Ford Davies had a a theater engagement. He was only in one scene. So they filmed the scene with the Naboo council without him. And then they took a portable blue screen and mapped him over mm-hmm. the poor actor that essentially got booted right. out of uh, attack of the clones then. Um, so we see this full fruition of the technology. Do you think it was a hundred percent successful or do you think it was mostly successful mm-hmm. or did it just, was it glaring? So, 
Uh, this might sound odd to people. Um, I didn't know that she wasn't originally in the movie. I hadn't read that previously. Um, cool. I hadn't kept up with um, all the behind the scenes on Army. And part of that was because I was kind of so focused on all the stuff going on with uh, Justice League. And yeah. I was just excited, you know, that Zach was making this movie and everything. So I, I didn't really know that. So having seen this on the big screen and at home, I, to me, it it works pretty great for the fact that they're having to put her into scenes that she was never in. You know, she's never with Batista, right? You know, so, um, and uh, Tig's funny. She's just real funny. I think she adds a nice um, levity to every scene that she's in in a really good way in the film. Um, and uh, I'm very glad that it was her. Uh, I think, as she says, 100%, 100%, I'm in, Yeah, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I, I liked it. I loved it. And I didn't I didn't really see anything. Part of that is I didn't know, and so I wasn't looking. So I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I was looking because I knew. Sure. Uh, I think that it was uh, greatly successful. The only time, there were a couple of shots that it jumped out at me. There's one shot in particular, and it, again, it's because I was obsessively paying attention. Mm-hmm. I was like, can I see the seams? Uh, there's 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 one shot where like she's more in focus than everybody else, like, and so you can tell that it's right. you know not native to uh, what what was shot on on set. Um, and then there's one shot where. Uh, where they're first coming in and everybody is fanning out at first and she's off on the right hand side of the screen and she looks almost like a piece of paper pasted, but it's a background shot. And if I wasn't looking directly at her, I wouldn't have known or cared. So I think that this is a hugely successful effect. Um, I think it's unfortunate that they, they felt it had to be done um, because like, you know, who, this would have sunk the production if they couldn't do this, right? Oh, right, yeah. And so the fact that they could is fantastic. It gave us yeah. the ability to to do this, and and the thing is, it 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 sets me even further down now because I, again, Attack of the Clones uses it. Uh, Christopher Lee was never on set with Hayden Christensen in in episode uh, in in Revenge of the Sith. Um, and so it's becoming more and more a part of our filmmaking lives. Yep. But what's really interesting is you go back through film history and so many actors who didn't work out or died during production or this or that. And now it's within the filmmakers ability to go back and map like this. And it's, it's uh, an amazing and terrifying tool at the same time. And what's what's terrifying about it is when he was asked about how much it would how much it cost to do, he said it was cheaper than making the zombie <laughs> tiger. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, real really? That's impressive. So yeah, you know, that's that's pretty incredible. And I you know, I, I want to ask you about that because the zombie tiger is obviously fully CG. Do you think that that type of CG effect was fully successfully realized or were there moments where you were looking at it and you were like, eh, this is a little ambitious. You know, I, this is one of the places where I think that the technology that he was using camera wise in the lens helped because any imperfections mm. uh, you can, you can almost play off and your, your brain can play off as it's part of the focusing effect. Right. And, yeah. um, but I thought the zombie tiger is great. One, it's just such a funny idea. You know, you're in Vegas and that, you know, one of uh, Siegfried and Roy's tigers would get turned into, you know, a zombie. And it's a it's an incredibly cool idea. I mean, and only Zack Snyder would think of that. Right. Like Zack Snyder's mind, just like what would be coolest here? Yeah. A zombie tiger. And so I I loved it. What I give them credit for is the fact that the tiger behaves the way a cat does. Yes. Uh, when all of the zombies are rushing over at one point and the tiger is rushing along with them 
and then it just jumps up on a car and sits down and it yawns <laughs> and it just starts resting. I've owned cats in my life and that is exact zip, 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 zip. zip. Eh, okay. I'm resting now. Like it was so cat like mm-hmm. that I loved it. I thought it was so fun yeah. that somebody knew cats well enough that they could put something in there so that people who understood cats would say, oh yeah, okay. That, that's a thing. That well, and they they did something really cool with uh, Zeus's horse. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a real horse that they created a bodysuit to wear to make it look like that, which I well, thought looked, was incredible. It, it looked amazing. Yeah, it really looked amazing. Um, probably cheaper uh, than yeah. creating a digital thing anyway, too. So, um, I so I do want to go back a little bit because um, I do want to dig just a little bit into obviously the the camera effect and um. I have to say that for myself, especially on the big screen, I really loved this effect because I felt like it it was really beautiful. And in many ways, I felt like the shallow depth of feel helped us kind of have an emotional and, and an, a visceral reaction to how everybody is reacting almost in this movie, which is is... A lot of people are acting within a very shallow depth of feel, like they're doing these things for maybe not the best reasons, not always the deepest reasons. You know, like Tanaka, he's doing all this for money. You know, um, the president of the United States wants to blow up uh, uh, on uh, on the Fourth of July because it'll be quote really cool. Um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, people like, uh, Theo Rossi's, um, character who the, the, um, the, the, basically the rapist guard, you know, he is the, the shallowest depth of feel of, of character who's just taking advantage of the situation. Like, and I, I just, in some ways I felt like to me, um, thematically the, that lens and the way that it was shooting things kind of really helped bring home a lot of what was going on like internally and just in the whole situation as well. So to me, I I loved it. And I just also loved the fact that we had a director who was willing to play around with things because we know Zach is creating not just film, but art like, and he, as an artist, he's, he's playing with basically a different set of paints to see what happens. You know, I I think that it's it is very visually cool. I don't I don't dismiss what you're saying there. Uh, I don't know that it was successful in connecting with me that way in terms of bringing me to the characters. Uh, I thought it, you, you know, again, it was very visually cool. It's very stylized. I expect that from a Zack Snyder movie, uh, but I don't know that it. I don't know that any any of the visual. Um, tricks, cues, methods would be enough to sort of overcome the fact that I didn't really feel a strong connection to enough of the characters, uh, which again, I think is a product of the ensemble cast. Not that they were bad actors and actresses, but the fact that there were so many of them with so many motivations that were, uh, you know, uh, Tanaka's motivation is questionable because there's no reason you know and i know that it's very easy to say well that's not why you're watching it and that's very true i'm watching it just to have fun but that to me was a sign of the fact that it was having trouble engaging me as much as it wanted to is that there were moments where i would pause and say well that doesn't really make sense like if you give me a minute to slow down and start doing that that means that you're sort of losing me a little bit now at no point does it lose me completely right because there is an ebb and flow to this movie where it is funny enough at certain points that i laugh and it, and that brings you back or it's tense enough you know when they're going through the hibernating zombies that's a really interesting sequence uh, yes, yes. I, I I enjoyed that. I thought that was mm-hmm. very interesting and very well done. Uh, when I I think that the odd thing, the very odd thing, is that there seems to be more sympathy from Snyder 
at certain points for the zombies, especially the alpha, than there is for the humans. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's sympathy, but it seems like he's just so much more interested in the mm-hmm. zombies. Yeah, that the people are adornments to their story. And I, I think um, that's pretty much a purpose from what I've heard from him in many ways. Um, you know, he talked about how what we see the human characters doing are all these kind of very motivatedly selfish things, you know, continuing the worst of humanity. And in the end with the zombies, what do we see? They've kind of created a society that doesn't have any war. Nobody's killing each other. Um, you know, uh, and they're kind of at peace in this place and they're figuring out a way to try and evolve as well. And right. in some ways, I think his, his, what Zack Snyder's ultimate purpose in this movie is to do is to show us the error of our ways by helping us realize that we almost care more about the zombies in this film than we do the humans in this film. And that there's something wrong with the fact that we would do that because none of the human characters are in, in here are are really most of them are not being driven by the best of human motivations. Right. And whereas the zombies are. And I think that's a great this is the place where I think Zach kind of twisted things on its on its head um, completely, and when we're talking about growth, I think this is one of the ways that Zach's grown. He's taken the genre to which can have some sort of social commentary and flipped it around so that I almost want the zombies to win more than I want the humans to win because the you know it's like you know we're in many ways humanity has already turned itself into what we think of the worst of zombies. And yet the zombies themselves have turned themselves into something that almost seems better when put together. Well, yeah, I, well, I, I don't know better because you, you know what I'm is, saying? Like, I, I mean, I do. thematically, I, I don't yeah, necessarily I, right. mean like in reality. Yeah, I know. There are a couple of downsides with being perpetually rotting and. Uh, yes, like being out in the sun too others. long and you just like uh, basically Shrivel have up. to wait till yeah. it rains to maybe possibly come back. So, well, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where I think that this this movie owes a lot to aliens, uh, you know, with that whole thing, because that's the mm-hmm. that's sort of the point, you know, with Burke, where it's like you don't see them screwing each other over for a percentage. Mm-hmm. And I that's very much a purposeful homage. No question. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I I think that Snyder throws some interesting curveballs uh, in terms of possibilities having to do with, um, you know, they find the other team and one of the members is wearing the same key that the female member of their team is wearing, and they have that whole question about maybe this just all happens over and over again. We're caught in a time loop, yeah, um, the ring cycle, <laughs> right? Exactly, and. Uh, so, you know, so that that's interesting. I just I, I just think that there were there were opportunities um, during the development and editing that that could have just truncated mm-hmm. and sure. condensed this like, uh, you know, you could have put because the thing is, I, I everybody knows the hotels in Las Vegas are enormous. They're cities unto themselves. And instead of having. She has to go run across, get to the other tower, and they have to fly a helicopter, and somehow Zombie King makes it over there with a horse, you know, in the same amount of time. If you condense that to, you know, there's one giant hotel, and, like, the zombies are all in this wing, and they have to work their way through, and that's where they, you know... And I'm not trying to rewrite everything. I'm giving this as an example of how you could condense it or could have condensed it so that uh, things would have moved quicker, would have moved more quickly, and we would have been closer to that two-hour target instead of the, the you know the two and a half hours. Um, and again, I'm not trying to rewrite, and I'm not trying to say Zack Snyder should have done it my way, right? This is just me sort of like you know riffing in my head, saying, "Well, on the spot, how would you condense it?" It's like, well, you know, you could do something like that, right? But at the same time, I don't ding it too hard, 
specifically because I came to this because I wanted to watch a fun zombie movie romp, and I got more out of it than I bargained for. I thought I was going to get Dawn of the Dead, and instead I got Army of the Dead. Uh, It's sort of like the difference, honestly, between Night of the Living Dead and the original Dawn of the Dead. It's more complex. They start postulating more. There's a little bit more interesting stuff going on with the zombies in it. The people are disparate. You know, so that original 1970s classic is sort of to, you know, that original 1970s classic is to Night of the Living Dead what Army of the Dead is to Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. So I just think, I think that's, that's interesting in and of itself. I, so I do have a question here before kind of we get to the ratings because, you know, uh, and I don't think this really necessarily gives away um, what we think of the movie, but does the movie do enough for you that you are interested in kind of what they're going to do with an animated series that's a prequel and then a possible sequel if people like this movie enough? Uh, yes, because there are, well, I think it's, a little clumsy the way it's handled. There are certain questions that are left at the end of this that I would like to see answered. Uh, Not the least of which being, I saw at least two zombies that looked like they were cyborgs. And I want to know what the hell is going on with that. Right? So that's super interesting. That's a question that's dangling there. What's going to happen at the end when he gets to Mexico city. Also interesting to me. Um, So, yes, there's enough here. I can tell you that if anybody recalls, this is not the first time Netflix turned to a known quantity action director to try to kick off a franchise. Michael Bay had Six Underground. Six Underground was awful. I'll never watch it again. And if they release a sequel to it, it can go straight to hell. (laughs) Can I just Uh, say that movie is, and I wouldn't say this lightly, but that movie's trash. I, I would say garbage. Garbage <laughs> garbage has rotting food in it. Trash is just sundry Rubbish. items. Yes. Um But this, yeah. I yeah, I'm interested enough. I, I'm presuming you are. You're interested enough to see a sequel and a prequel and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh it is there is enough here to which I was pulled in with. And you know, what I think is really interesting too is that you know, with the, the the sequel possibilities, you have an opportunity to have a whole new cast as well. Um, yes. And I think that's really cool for the most part. Obviously, you know, you might have a couple of repeat characters, but then the rest of this is going to be new people, which you can bring in, which I think is kind of neat. Um, almost like a Cloverfield type of thing where, you know, uh, yeah. everything's loosely connected. Well, before we got to Paradox, but, um, you know, Ugh. things are yeah. loosely connected connected and and so that's that's a neat idea for me as well that in fact that actually seems to be almost in some ways what snyder is kind of going for in this whole whole universe that he's created with army um and it's just kind of exciting to see something that's a it's a totally new property that i have no idea what possibly is going to happen like you know this isn't connected to anything else that that's cool true yeah i agree uh so okay so then we're at the ratings aren't we we got we're we're going to unveil to the world on a scale of five zombie heads zombie queen heads yes gotta go with the queen head how many zombie queen heads yeah um for me this is Four and a half out of five. And wow. the reason that is, is because you know that I'm not a huge like zombie type person, but I will watch this movie repeatedly because mm. I really enjoyed the film because there's so much more to it than just quote unquote like a zombie movie. And um, for me, that makes it a really successful film in what it's trying to do. Um, and I think I really loved to personally what Zach was doing visually, the way he was playing around with things, um, with the camera work alone, but of course with, you know, uh, the depth of field with the lenses 
and I just thought that this was, to me, an incredibly successful film when it comes to the zombie genre, and, you know, I, I... enjoyed it much more than I did. I mean, and, and I remember we both liked Dawn of the Dead at three and a half stars. That's where we were. This one just took the, that possibility to me and raised the stakes. So it's like, now I have some pretty high stakes of what I'm kind of hoping for with a movie in this type of genre. So um, to me, just because of all what that, what it does personally, uh, with the genre, I'm I'm really impressed, and I I'm definitely looking for more. So yeah, four and a half stars for me. Uh, I don't end up that high. Um, there were again, there were a couple of story problems that I think could have been resolved uh, earlier on. There were a couple of motivations that wound up not really working within their own context here and there. But like I said, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. Uh, the the action is great. The the nonverbal stuff that uh, that Snyder does is interesting. The opening credits have stuck with me uh, the whole time, mm. um, yeah. and you know the, the there's some new technology that's really interesting to see, uh, and I had a good time with it. Um, in terms of a star rating, uh, I would probably wind up somewhere. Like I, I was talking with somebody else and they were like, where would you end up with it? And I, you know, sometimes I, I switched to different scales. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is probably about a, a B minus or C plus for me. Right. It's a passing grade. It's good. And I enjoyed it. So I will likely end up with three and a half because as I think about, you know, uh, he said he's saying some interesting things in the beginning. He's got a real flair for the visuals as usual. I think that the zombie society he's setting up is intriguing. I think that the social commentary that he has is worthwhile. And I think that, um, you know, there's enough happening that I had a good time. I thought the action was staged really, really well. And if there's a sequel, I'll watch it. But how often do I see myself coming back to Army of the Dead? I don't know yet. So I'm I'm going to go with, uh, well, let's call it a soft three and a half. I am going to rewatch it just to see if it slides on that scale at all. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I'm going to three and a half. Nice. I mean, you know, and, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's a still pretty good. So, yeah, it is. I, you know what? He's uh, he he hasn't lost any ground from his first film. Yeah, you know, there if you, you look go. At the, if you it's look at the ratings, so there you go. So, of course, the question then we have to have is what we'd rank our Zack Snyder oh, films, goodness. and so um, I could start if you'd like. Um, I'll 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 start from the bottom. Uh, it's uh, of course uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, at the bottom there. Uh, with like we've called it or the respectable three and a half. Um, and then uh, I would go with uh, Owls of Gahul. Uh, and, you know, I rated that four and a half stars. So um, where it gets really messy is uh, I would say there's pretty much a tie for the most part. They're all pretty comparable. But uh, after Gahul, be Army of the Dead. Uh, and then it's Sucker Punch, and then it's Watchmen, uh, and then we get to 300, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League at the top. What people need to remember is I never think to go and write down the rankings that I had before. It's true. He doesn't. No. Anything that smacks of effort, just I break out. Yeah, in mine's on Letterbox. And, That's how I know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I wrote it down somewhere. It's on a piece of paper, probably scribbled, possibly possibly some barbecue sauce on it somewhere along the way. I don't know. Uh, but if we're talking about rankings, we all know that I love the extended cut of Sucker Punch. So right. you know, it's up there with three hundred. You know, like those are just I just adore those films. And I everybody knows I loved Zack Snyder's, uh, you know, the Snyder cut of Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably Man of Steel wound up there. And then the 
the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman was somewhere around Watchmen. I know this is frustrating. It's like, oh, just give it a spot. I, I don't know. I would say Army of the Dead is sitting comfortably in that sort of bottom third area, uh, whatever that looks like on my list. Uh, what I I think the ultimate question with it sitting down there is since it has the same star rating, would I watch Dawn of the Dead again or would I watch Army of the Dead again? And I can say hands down, I'll watch Army of the Dead before I'll watch Dawn of the Dead. So that in and of itself says to me that regardless of what sort of absolutely messy spaghetti I'm making out of this rankings thing right here, that Dawn of the Dead remains where it was down at the bottom, a respectable, you know, first movie capper. And Army of the Dead at least is is at least one slot above that. So that's that's good. And, and you know, when you're talking about movies that I've ranked every everywhere from three and a half to five stars, that's still good. It's not like it's not like I'm saying that, you know, the the two movies that are in the quote unquote bottom two slots are like the room right, or a right. Neil Breen movie. Or something like that, you know? No, I mean, These not aren't at all. Riff Tracks movies. This is a well, good movie. No, I mean, at three and a half stars, it's above average. Yeah. By a half, a, a, one and a half stars. So, I mean, you know, you, you, no, no Zack Snyder movie has fallen below average for you. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive from, uh, you know, a place where, you know, as we started this journey, uh, we've talked about you. I don't know if you even imagine that that would possibly be the case. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I mean, I was open to having my mind changed, but yeah, I came into this, you know, a typical person's like, Zack Snyder mm-hmm. sucks. I can't. Uh, and I've done a 180. So, and yeah. again, for all I know, I'm going to watch Army of the Dead again. And I'm, I'm going to be like, no, it's a solid three and a half. Or I might, you know, who knows? It might slide up, down, whatever. But at the very least, even when Snyder isn't making a five-star classic like the uh, extended version of Sucker Punch, he's still making something really interesting mm-hmm. and worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think you're right. That's why he's a director I'll always pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know. There are very few directors right now uh, that I think deserve the attention and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the sense of like that you would legitimately follow and or watch anything that they direct, you know, Um, and Snyder for me is definitely in that category along with Nolan. And in all honesty, I think, you know... um, there might be there's very few other filmmakers where I'm like I legitimately just will watch anything they direct because I just want to see what it is. Um, the yeah. only other one that I can think of that that's the case that's still making movies right now is uh, you guys just talked about on House Lights, which was Wes Anderson, where I've seen all of his movies because I love Wes Anderson films. Right, some are more successful than others for me, but you know I legitimately if a movie comes out that he does, I'm going to see it. And so, yeah, but there are just, that's a very small list. And so, and I think part of that is just because, you know, there are so few directors who are truly trying to expand and, and really they are working to make art. And so this has been an incredible journey and I'm really super excited um, that uh, we do um, have something else in the works, John. It's going to be coming out later this year. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. And um, I don't should should we tease it now for everybody so they can just kind of get hyped? Let Let's go ahead and tease it. We've we've uh, inhabited the DC universe enough with uh, Zack Snyder, um, and we're going to assemble ourselves to discuss a series of very popular films later this year. Uh, and we hope everybody will join us for the ride uh, for Assembling Avengers, which is going to be our little foray into everything from Iron Man through. I, I don't, how many movies am I signing up for on this? Well, I mean, let's see. This year alone, we have three movies. 50, coming 60. Out. 
Yeah, something like something that. Like that. Um, but it Oof. is it is going to be fun. Um, we are going to take a journey, uh, and 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 this is going to be, I think, a great retrospective because um, we just to to promo it. We both come from a place where we love some Marvel movies, and we don't enjoy as much some Marvel movies. And our goal here is to kind of we've kind of gotten away from the hype at this point, so it'll be fun to go back and to try and judge these movies on their own without the hype yep. and just how do they live up in, in the pantheons of cinema. And I think that's going to be a really, really fun journey. And I'm actually very excited about it. So this is going to be coming to you here uh, in the fall. We're going to be uh, hitting the ground running with Iron Man and then making our way uh, through the Marvel series. So um, I can't wait. Do I have to watch Iron Man 2 again? Uh, yes. Yes, you do. Oh, it's part okay. of the it's part of the pantheon. So, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, uh, John, if uh, people do though want to catch up with you before we reach assembling Avengers, where can people check you out? What else have you got going on? Oh, uh, you know, I'm Castle Junkie on your social network of choice. Uh, find me on Letterbox. I have a lot of fun over there. Uh, I, I have an acid tongue with movies that I don't like. So, buckle up. Uh, and you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network. Uh, co-hosting a show called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors from beginning to finish. Uh, and Well, not finish, necessarily, if they're still alive, but their entire body of work up to that point. Uh, and also on the Nerd Party, I'm co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a different type of Star Wars podcast with you, Matt Rushing. Yes, which is a blast, and, and hope people will check that out. Of course, here on the network, uh, you can find me doing... The 602 Club, which is our general geek show. It's the same feed you find uh, Snyder Cuts, so I hope you'll check that out. And also doing uh, The Orb, as well as Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Uh, on social media, I'm all over the place with Matt Rushing 2 so please do check me out on any of the platforms. Just search for that moniker, and uh, you'd find me if I'm on that platform. And then over on the Nerd Party Network... Uh, finished Owlpost with Dre Kaufman. We went through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time, so I hope that you will check that out. But thank you so much for joining us. This is Snyder Cuts. Snyder Cuts.